Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of William SB Talk Sports. I did not say hockey this time like I did the first time. Uh, great to be back. And today I have one of my co-writers over at the Hockey Writers, Brooke Laferno. How's it going, Brooke? It's going well. I think we got a lot to talk about today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. I did say your name right, right? I, yeah, you I did. Like we, you did. I, yeah. I know we didn't go over that beforehand, which we probably should have. So, <laughs> and I was actually impressed. I was like, "Oh, he got it." Yeah. All right. Cool. So we're off to a good start, uh, which cannot be said about the Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was yeah. probably the best transition I've ever done in that case. <laughs> yeah, that was very but, slick. Yeah. Thank you. Um, as someone who also covers a team in the bottom two of the NHL, we both kind of have similar feelings on how the season has gone so far. I am actually a little bit surprised the Blackhawks are now 32nd behind the Sharks, which has not happened up until recently, actually. And it's kind of curious to me what the Blackhawks are going to do moving forward. Typically, when you're a rebuilding team, you see a lot of these pending UFAs get dealt at the trade deadline but the Blackhawks are going in a different direction looks like they're resigning most of these guys what do you think they're going to do with the deadline as a result is they don't really have many pieces to move out um I honestly have no clue what they're going to do at the deadline I know that they were linked to Andre Kuzmenko but obviously he got traded to the uh, Calgary Flames yesterday so that's out the door um Someone or uh, one of the Chicago um, writers, Nate Brown, um, who's one of my friends, had actually mentioned Capo uh, Caco as one of them, um, an option possibly. Um, but I honestly think they need a score of some type because they really are struggling. Even with Bedard, he's out right now, but even with him in the lineup, they were still really struggling. He could use some support, I think. So I do think they should get a score. I'm not sure where that will come from, but I know that Kyle Davidson, uh, the general manager, said that um, – he doesn't really expect to have a very active deadline, especially now that um Jason Dickinson and Nick Foligno and Peter Morazic are re-signed. So I honestly have no clue what they're going to do. My guess maybe would be, I wouldn't be surprised if they may, they maybe got like one forward, maybe took on a bad contract. They still have a ton of cap space. So it's really interesting right now. I don't know what to expect. I wouldn't be surprised if during the deadline that literally nothing happened, but I guess I wouldn't be surprised because it's the Blackhawks if something really did like if something a little bit bigger happened but yeah not holding my breath about any big trades either yeah it i think the like you're saying they need a score i think that's where the taylor hall injury really came into play very early Mm -hmm. on just not having that type of player to play alongside bedard even though everybody knew hey this isn't going to be a great team this season i think having some key pieces out, like right now, look at the injured reserve. You have Taylor Hall, Tyler Johnson, Nikita Zaitsev, Connor Murphy, Andreas Antonisiu, Anthony Bovillier, and of course, Connor Bedard, which mm-hmm. that I feel really bad for basically the whole top three of this year's draft. They've all had a rough go of it lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, of course, you have Bedard's been out for quite a while now, actually. And then Nick Foligno heard himself standing up for him, which also mm-hmm. wasn't great. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and it seems like Leo Carlson, every time he turned around, he has some sort of injury. And then Adam Fantilli's strange injury that occurred where he got cut by a skate while he was apparently wearing Kevlar under his mm-hmm. sock as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just been a strange season in that. And the Blackhawks, I think they're hoping to come out of this all-star break with a little more fire than we saw at the end of mm-hmm. uh, January. 
They haven't played terribly, but they had a tough run of it with the last few games. I believe it was, if I remember correctly, uh, Vancouver, Seattle, Edmonton, and Calgary. Right. So out of those games, I think the other ones you'd expect them to really compete in would be probably Calgary, and it was a one nothing loss. Do you mm-hmm. think they're going to be basically a little bit more competitive starting this month once we get out of the All-Star break? Here's the thing. I actually thought during that stretch of games that they actually played well. It just seemed like they were like the most unlucky team in the league. I think against Calgary, they had like six breakaways or something like that and didn't score. And then in the couple games prior, like even like Mackenzie Antwistle hit two posts. And like, it's just, I feel like they've been getting a lot of chances, but they've been also very unlucky and they literally cannot score for the life of them. So, and it's, it's tough because they've had a lot of efforts in the beginning of the season that was not good at all where you were like they look lifeless they're boring their head's not in it it doesn't seem like it and the losses felt very deserved in those senses and then it seems like on the flip side now when they're actually playing more competitive and with more heart and you can see how hard they're trying and they're still losing it's definitely tough to see especially for them and like I said they've been getting chances and I think that's and you can see the frustration on the players faces like they know they're got they're trying their best and they know that they're getting chances but they also know they have to you know, kind of make the most of those chances too. And it just hasn't worked out. So I was really worried like about even like during the Calgary game before the all-star break, which is their last game before the all-star break that I didn't know if they would honestly be defeated after knowing that they've been playing really well and it's just been not going their way at all. Um, I didn't know if they would kind of just be like apathetic to it at that point, but then they actually had a really good effort. Um, So I would hope that that effort continues after the All-Star break. And hopefully, you know, they say if you play the right way, you'll get rewarded at some point. So I hope if they can at least keep it up, then uh, then the results will start going their way a little bit. And I think they need it. But Jason Dickinson said um, that, you know, they're going to they're not going to, you know, kind of they're just not going to roll over here. They're going to keep trying. They're going to keep going at it like they know they've been playing well. They just need to convert. So. Yeah, it's interesting. It's very interesting for sure. I don't think the stats, especially from the last week before the All-Star break, kind of tell the full story there. But they have been doing playing a lot better, I would say. Just no dice whatsoever. Yeah, and I think that goes back to the old saying where management tanks, players and coaches do not. Mm -hmm. I think. I know that's something we've talked about quite a bit over the last few weeks uh, based on social media and all that. There are a lot of fans who'd say, hey, why try to win? You have mm-hmm. to go for Macklin Celebrini. And me and you were both on the same page where that doesn't accomplish the goal you're looking for. That's how you end up in this area of the Buffalo Sabres mm-hmm. for a long time, the Edmonton Oilers for a long time. You have to build a winning culture while losing, weirdly enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to keep that mindset of keeping everybody hungry. And how do you think they've been doing with that? Do you think that that fire to basically build that winning culture once things do start getting turned around is already there? Do you know what's funny is that, like, I think they asked, had Coach Luke Richardson about that, about, like, um, are you worried that these players are just going to, you know, probably become apathetic to all this losing and stuff? And he said not, he's like, not if they're competing for jobs, they're not, or, like, something along those lines. And he's right about that because half of this team really is competing for jobs. They don't have many players signed for on their roster for next season. I think before they signed Morazic, Dickinson, um, and Felino, they only had three forwards 
signed for next season. So it really is anyone's game at this point. So I do think he's right. If you're fighting for a job for here or for Chicago or for elsewhere, then yeah, I would hope that you would see kind of that, hopefully like that winning culture or like that will to win would show. And like I said, sometimes it did. And it was earlier on the season where it really didn't. And that was frustrating. Now it's becoming, now that's a lot better, but I felt like I would be worried about players like Connor Murphy who have been here a long time that really have not tasted the playoffs and like wondering kind of what he's thinking there. And then obviously Seth Jones, who's been here a couple years now, and he will be here for the next, you know, seven years and stuff. And, but I think there definitely is a better culture going on. You can see that, you know, Felino and Dickinson and Morazic wanted to stay on a rebuild instead of choosing to chase a cup, even though they could have asked Kyle Davidson for that. And he probably could have gotten a good package for him. So I do think that they have good leaders in place for that to kind of establish that winning culture. I do think Felino especially has been a great help with that. So I do see that they are building a really good culture here, a lot better than I've seen the last couple of years. That's for sure. So I think that's something I think for fans to be excited about too, the fact that players want to stay and want to be a part of this, even though they're losing a lot of games, they see the potential, they see the culture change. So yeah, I do think it's going in the right direction. Yeah. And I think, like you said, Nick Felino, I think, Having a guy like that is key to any rebuild, basically. You need someone who cares more than anything. And mm-hmm. as someone who covered the Blue Jackets for, and still do for a long time, it's, there's, to me, not a better leader in the NHL than Nick Foligno in terms mm-hmm. of the way he carries himself, the way he has expectations for his team, and things like that. And, of course, like you said with Jones, I think, I'm curious how he feels about the decision because I think when he signed with Chicago, I think he was expecting things to turn around a little bit quicker mm-hmm. than they have. Mm-hmm. But I think now he's going to be in that age range when Bedard and everybody else who are start to reach their peak, where he'll be able to still contribute, even though he will be a little bit on the older side. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how that goes here in the next few years. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely a different team when Seth Jones signed. There was still you know, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze, and then they had Marc-Andre Fleur. It definitely was a different team, but that's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. Yeah, and I think realistically, it kind of worked out better for the organization as a whole because if they hadn't gotten Bedard, say, like even with a Fantilli or Carlson, I think there'd be a lot less hope around the organization mm-hmm. than there is right now. It's mm-hmm. Those are great prospects, but Bedard is Connor Bedard. He's one of the top prospects we've ever seen. And it's curious to see how they go. I mean, especially if they do end up getting like a Macklin Celebrini to go alongside Mm -hmm. of him, that would kind of basically give you your one, two center punch for the foreseeable future. Then you can kind of do what Pittsburgh was doing for a long time in high pressure situations, play them together. So it's really interesting. The options that Davidson has in front of them here, I feel like, and they have a lot of draft capital this season as well, it looks like. Mm-hmm. I believe two first-round picks, three seconds, two-thirds. They're kind of low on the back end of the draft, but mm-hmm. I think they have the picks where it matters. So mm-hmm. they're going to be building this thing up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah for sure. They're one player who I really like on this team, and I'm not sure why, <laughs> is Ryan Donato. What have you thought of him so far this season? Um, do you know, so Ryan Donato actually started the season really strong because he started on the first line with Connor Bedard. And that's actually, 
I think it's been well noted around Chicago that Ryan Donato, Connor Bedard's played with, you know, players like Felino and Dickinson and stuff, but and Philip Kershev, but Ryan Donato's probably been his most successful line mate. They just for some reason really clicked. And I think when all the injuries happened, they separated them, obviously, because you needed depth throughout the lineup with everyone out. And um, they really haven't played together a lot since. Um, so to be honest, I feel like those two maybe brought out the best in each other. It feels like when Ryan Donato is not playing on Bedard's line, he's not as noticeable. He has some games where you're like, oh my gosh, that's Ryan Donato. He made so, he made a really good play. Granted, he's kind of stuck in the bottom six right now, but I think he was doing a lot better with Bedard. I don't know if they'll experiment putting them back together at some point, but um, I do like Donato's, um, I do like his work ethic. You can see how hard he tries each shift. He really kind of has that high energy motor thing going on. So I, I do like his game a lot. It's just unfortunate that it seems like he's kind of taken a little bit of a slump since kind of being separated from Bedard. So I'm interested to see how that looks in the second half of the season, but he is a player to watch for sure. He's one that is signed on for next year. Um, for the Blackhawks. So he'll be around um, for sure to kind of help this team and kind of be a good uh, role model and mentor. And I I don't know why. I think even since he was in, I believe, Minnesota, or am I thinking of Charlie Boyle? One of those players. <laughs> been a few of those players who I just really liked for no real reason. On the So we're going to shift over to the defense here. We talked a little bit about them already, but on the blue line, you have Kevin Kuczynski, who's 19, Mm-hmm. Alex Vlasic, who's 22, mm-hmm. Isaac Phillips, who's 22. And overall, it doesn't seem like the defense has been terrible despite the lack of experience they have back there. Of course, they have Steph Jones back there. But then you mm-hmm. also have, it looks like currently, Jared Tenorti and Jacob Megna, who are fine players, but mm-hmm. they're not difference makers. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like the young the defense has played so far as well this season? Do you know what's weird is sometimes I think the veterans have struggled a lot more than the rookies, which is kind of a weird thing to say. Like Jared Tenorti, he had a pretty good year last year despite some injuries, but he had a pretty good year, and this year has not been a good year for him at all. He had some injuries, and even when he was playing, it was not good. Connor Murphy seems like – I like Connor Murphy a lot. He's one of my favorites on the Blackhawks, but he hasn't really um, had a great season um, as well. Um, I really like the addition of Jacob Magna. So as a veteran, I think he's actually done pretty well for that. And obviously Seth Jones is leading the way for them and always has, but so I'm really impressed with the rookies because like I said, on most nights, I feel like they're playing better than the veterans. Like I said, Vlasic is with Seth, Seth Jones on the top pairing and he's been phenomenal. Kevin Korchinski, it seems like some nights he has like really like noticeable like boo-boos, which is totally fine because on defense, as a rookie defenseman, that's bound to happen. Just got to learn from it. But overall, he's just so talented. Like sometimes you just think you're watching a forward. Like it's kind of like amazing the skill he has. So, and I think he's been actually playing some really good hockey lately. He's been making some really good plays. And um, just like I, I think there's a lot to be excited about on the defense with even the prospects they have in Rockford with Wyatt Kaiser, even the other prospect they've had for the last couple of years, Isaac Phillips, I think is a really solid addition. So yeah, I, the defense does struggle a lot as a whole. They give up a lot of goals, but overall, I don't think it's as ugly as it could be. Like I said, it's not pretty most nights, but there's also a lot there that gives you hope that it will get better or that you know, it's not all bad here. These these players have talent and skills. So it'll be interesting to watch in the future too. 
Yeah, I know they have another prospect that you're really big on, Ethan Del Mastro, who should be coming up here soon. I'll be mm -hmm. seeing him over at the AHL All-Star game, I believe. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of work this all out moving forward. Uh, yeah, of course, there will be a lot. There is a log jam at defense for sure amongst yeah, the prospects. And yeah, and it's one of those things where do you move one of the younger players to make room for a better younger player? Do you move the veterans? Like, how do you really work your way through this? I think that's mm -hmm. going to be the thing for Kyle Davidson because you have Murphy for three more years at right. 30 years old, which is fine. And But, of course, when you have Jones up there as well, it's going to be – difficult to see how they make them all fit so it'll be interesting to see what he does with that mm -hmm. yeah and then like you were saying for the forwards earlier they have a lot of players who could be on the way out potentially mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of restricted free agents and a few unrestricted as well so let's start with the unrestricted from colin blackwell rem pitlick and zach sanford as well as tyler johnson and anthony bavillier who do you think they bring back from that group? Honestly, I don't think they're bringing back anyone from that group. I Rem Pitlick and Sanford were kind of pickups during all the injuries where they literally needed a body. So they got them. And I think they're thinking when everyone does eventually come back, they'll probably be sent to Rockford. So I don't really see them being re-signed. Maybe to an AHL deal or something, maybe for Rockford. But I don't see this going anywhere to be honest with you even though I like the potential of both of them I just don't see it and Tyler Johnson I do think will I've liked Tyler Johnson actually but I do think they'll move on from him probably give him a chance to go to a contender maybe in free agency um and Anthony Beauvillier actually intrigues me I don't know if they'll resign him I'm leaning towards no but I actually wouldn't mind seeing it I actually do like Beauvillier a lot I know he's kind of very inconsistent but I like his versatility that he can play kind of anywhere in the lineup and stuff. So I'd be interested if maybe they could come up with, you know, kind of a cheap short-term deal for him. Maybe um, they could probably make it work there, but to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if none of them returned next season. Yeah. Cause that Beauvillier move was kind of a weird one. Uh, it seems like it forever ago, but it was just a couple months ago. Uh, right. but, I mean, they got him cheap enough that, who knows, maybe they can retain and move him at the deadline if he's healthy in time. I don't know mm -hmm. if his current status, but it's one of those things where it's definitely going to be interesting because I think a lot of contenders could use a player like that. Right. It's just the salary is going to be the tough part of it. Mm -hmm. And speaking of salary, I'm looking at Cap Friendly here right now, and they have a lot of dead space currently being used. Mm -hmm. A lot of it looks like it's going to be clearing up here fairly soon. Like recapture penalty for Duncan Keefe's gone after this year. Mm -hmm. uh, the buyout for Brett Conley and Henrik Borgstrom are gone, but they have two more years on the buyout of Josh Bailey and then retained, retained salary on Jake McCabe. So really, it seems like a lot of the salary is going to be clearing up just in time to maybe kind of start moving out of that rebuild mm -hmm. and into getting a couple free agents who could push them to that next level. Um do you think that's what they might be planning with the amount of contracts that they have not signed here is when Bedard and some of these other young players are ready to take that step forward? They're going to bring in some big free agent acquisitions possibly? Yeah, I know Kyle Davidson had mentioned he wants to be smart about this because he knows he's going to have to pay these prospects soon enough. He knows he's going to have to pay Connor Bedard. He knows he's going to have to pay Frank Nazar. He knows he's going to have to pay Oliver Moore at some point when their contracts expire. But 
And but that's you know we're a couple years away from that still. So in my mind, I feel like they should they should spend at this point. I feel like they have to take a step forward in this rebuild. Unfortunately, they were hit with so many injuries and stuff that was out of their control that I think really obviously I think they would have been maybe a bit better than they would be already. Not not playoff contenders, but I do think they'd be a bit better if obviously they were missing half their team all year. So I you know I was really big into William Nylander. I, w I really bought into the hype there. I thought he'd actually be a perfect addition. Like, if you sign a big name like that, all of a sudden everything else comes into place. But um, I'm kind of hearing or seeing that they probably won't spend a lot in free agency this year, and they'll probably save that for the next summer or for the following summer. So I'll be interested. They still will have a lot of money to spend this offseason, so I'll be interested to see how they use that, whether they use it to re-sign some of the players they got, whether they used to sign someone maybe like Steven Stamkos, I don't know, but I'm starting to think or realize that probably their big spending spree won't be coming for another two summers. But I do think they need to start spending on actual talent to like try to help this rebuild forward here. Like they've kind of been stuck in purgatory for a long time. Yeah. And I mean, in two years, you do have some interesting names who come on the board. I just pulled up the list here. You're big on William Nylander, his teammate Mitch Marner will be possibly yeah. hitting the market you have uh this is a weird one but it is i guess possible what if Sidney crosby comes to mentor him i mean mm. <laughs> he would be pretty old at that point but i mean a year or two of that couldn't hurt or even leon Dreisaitl. i mm -hmm. mean there's a lot of players who are going to be hitting the market around that time so i think it could be interesting and of course having just Taylor Hall back as early as next season will really help as well, just because mm -hmm. Bedard will get that high-end player beside him. And I think if you do that, add in, say they get Celebrini, Cole Iserman, one of those guys who may not be in the NHL straight away, depends on how they want to handle that. I think they should be probably a little bit smart about it and be a little patient, but mm -hmm. if they they have all the pieces there to be competitive in probably two to three years compared to a lot right. of the other rebuilding teams. Like I'd say as a Sharks writer, they're probably about three to four years out or longer just based on the status of the organization. While the Blackhawks, they can turn this around fairly quickly, it looks like. Yeah, they definitely could. I think they, like I said, I think they have all the tools to do so. And, you know, there's one other player who kind of interests me that this would be a trade market thing. But I don't know how serious it was, but I did hear some things about Trevor Zegras and Anaheim maybe mm -hmm. not being on the same page. I wonder how he'd fit in, like, uh, playing on just, say, the wing of Bedard. That would be an interesting combo. <laughs> I actually tweeted that, actually, when that report came out when he was on the trade bait list. I was like, I like this fit for the Blackhawks a lot. Young player, doesn't have a lot of term on his contract, so for, for whatever reason, if he really didn't fit here or wasn't um, didn't work out here, then they wouldn't be stuck with them, per se. And that's kind of Kyle Davidson's MO, is he wants everyone on short-term deals right now while he figures everything out. So the fact that he still has a short-term um, and the fact that he's young and is a playmaker, that's something I think could complement Connor Bedard pretty well. So I would, I would actually be all for it if that were to happen. I think that'd be actually a great fit. So if you're in a rebuild, why not get young, talented people? So I, yeah, I'd be all for that if that happens. Yeah. And I wouldn't blame you. I mean, it's, sorry about that. It's one of those things where adding a player like that, who's already further along in their development, but still young enough 
it's really he's right in that window for the players they need because i mean you don't want a bunch of 18 year olds i mean it'll work to a certain extent but it's never gonna get you to the stanley cup but if you have players who are maybe between like 20 like a good range between 20 and 30 like a good mix Mm -hmm. of those guys that can work pretty well so i mean of course you'll have uh jones who's a bit older than that Salino's a little way older than that at this point but which I'm curious to see what he does when his new contract extension does expire, because I think he'll still be at that age where he might get one more contract to go chase the cup, or he might stay with Chicago again and just keep yeah. trying to go forward. This is a really interesting team, which I think to a lot of people who just kind of look at the standings and say, oh, they last, who cares? There's a lot mm-hmm. that should be kept an eye on here, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. I think for sure there's so many moving parts, players on short-term deals where you don't exactly know what could come of it, whether they might stay through their duration, whether they might get traded. There definitely is a lot of moving, interesting parts here for sure. Yeah, and I know because I'm in the Blackhawks part of the Hockey Rider Slack, which I don't remember how that happened. I think I went in and asked a question yeah. and just never left. <laughs> but you did, yeah. I remember, I remember there was one point where – you guys, when the uh, the replacements got named for the All-Star game, you guys were fairly upset about the fact that the Blackhawks don't have representation now. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of push for Jacob, uh, sorry, Jason Dickinson, not Jacob Dickinson. Uh, there's a lot of push for him to get in there and replace Bedard. Is it, it's a bit of more like a broad NHL question. Do you think it's contradictory how they push con- consistently for there needs to be one representative from every team, but the second a player gets injured, that kind of goes out the window? Yeah, that really makes no sense to me. I feel like if you set a precedent, you should follow it. And I get that they said like they didn't do this last year. Like when Maddie Beniers got injured, they didn't replace him with a, a Kraken player. But I still, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that rule at all. Like I said, if they're really big into one player on each team, they make a big deal out of selecting one person, then... And like I said, I get it that, like, the Blackhawks right now, besides Connor Bedard, don't have someone you would classify as an all-star. But, like I said, if that's a precedent you're setting, then I feel like that should be upheld. So, yeah, I don't really, I don't get it, to be honest with you, but um, that's why I think we were all kind of upset about Jason Dickinson, because, like I said, he's not an all-star. Everyone knows it, but it's just the precedent. Like, Like I said, one person from each team, if that's what you're doing then he should be in there. But yeah, definitely don't understand that whole thing. And I'm not a fan of it. Yeah. And actually, I, this is the difficult part because with goal, you can't replace a skater with a goaltender. But I think Peter Mrazek, there could be an argument made that he could have been the representative for the Blackhawks as well, based on the way he's played this season, right. which I know Maple Leafs fans were mad about. But <laughs> No, you could definitely well. make an argument for him for sure. It's, so moving forward, I mean, looking at the schedule they have going into the next stretch of the season, they have a pretty significant home stand here after yeah, the All-Star do. game. They have mm-hmm. five games. First one is actually a national broadcast in the U.S. on TNT against the Minnesota Wild. Mm-hmm. Then they go to, or well, they face off against the Rangers, the Canucks, the Penguins, and the Senators. There are some pretty difficult games in that mix. Mm-hmm. But there are definitely some games that they should be competitive for, I would imagine. Right. Like, uh, for example, Pittsburgh. 
how big would it be if they were able to knock them down? Of course, they haven't been performing as well as everybody expected them to with Eric Carlson. And then, of course, with Ottawa and their situation going on right now, I think you can make an argument that the Blackhawks should probably win that game as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, it's oh, good. Oh, no. I was just going to say they actually beat Pittsburgh um, during their first game of the season. I had different team back then. The Blackhawks had a different team back then, but they still upset them. So, yeah, I do think, and funny enough, like the, like I said, the week prior to the All-Star break, they actually could have beat Edmonton. They had them on their heels pretty much most of the game. They just can't score. So I definitely think these are winnable games for them. I mean, the Rangers, obviously Vancouver, like those kind of teams, big kind of just big talents there will be hard. But I definitely think they should have some good um, efforts. Let's put it that way. I think they could beat Minnesota and they could beat Ottawa. And I do think they could beat Pittsburgh. So we'll see. This team kind of surprises you in a lot of ways. They can kind of lose to kind of lowly teams, but then beat teams um, too. Like they beat Toronto twice, which I still don't know how that happens. So you never know with rebuilding teams. They really surprise you some days. Yeah. And with the New York Rangers, they are a powerhouse of the team. But they did lose to San Jose Sharks in overtime last month. Yeah, so that's true. they are definitely beatable because I think the general consensus we had for those of us who were at that game was it seemed like neither team was really taking it seriously. Yeah, uh, exactly. Specifically the Rangers. And I think they might make that same mistake because the two games before that for the Rangers are Colorado and Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. So if you compare those two teams to the current state of the Blackhawks, I think it's clear which games they're going to focus on more. <laughs> right, exactly. So, yeah, for sure. <laughs> there's a very good chance they underestimate the Blackhawks, and that could turn into a very interesting upset. So that, for people who don't have a game to watch on Friday the 9th, I would keep an eye out for that one because it could be interesting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think the Hawks have actually had matchups where people may have taken them lately. And sometimes I think even the Blackhawks have taken other teams lately as well. Um, So... Yeah, definitely interesting, but I know that basically kind of the culture that Luke Richards and their head coach is setting is trying to at least be hard to play against every night. Like, you know, like the wins might not always come, but don't make it easy on them. So it definitely, yeah, like I said, could be some interesting matchups here. Yeah, and I think that is key right there is basically be hard to play against um, because that's one thing I've seen a lot with the Sharks this year is there's games where they just don't have any energy. Uh, right. which is why they lost giving up 10 goals two games in a row, which mm-hmm. the Blackhawks luckily have not done for you guys. But, mm-hmm. uh, it, I mean, that's the other thing is because of those games, yes, the Blackhawks are behind in the standings, but they do have a better goal differential by 20 compared to the Sharks. Mm-hmm. The Blackhawks are currently negative 72, and the Sharks are currently negative 92 which will quickly get over 100 at this pace. Yeah. <laughs> and for context, for everybody who isn't looking at the stats right now, the next worst team is the Anaheim Ducks at negative 41. Yes. So these two teams are uh, <laughs> they're definitely in the league of their own when it comes to fighting for the top of the lottery. Of course, yeah, with, Chicago, sure. with Chicago, they're going to get better. I mean, as the season goes on, when you get Bedard back, that's going to improve the team substantially. Mm-hmm. I think basically double their wins probably. Yeah, for but, sure. And then with the Sharks, they're just going to get worse because they're, they're going to trade a lot of pieces. So that'll be interesting. Uh, 
to see how that all goes. But I think realistically, this is going to be an interesting story to keep an eye on for the rest of the season because, of course, with the draft lottery, there's no guarantees, as people found out last season when Chicago jumped up to the top. Uh, But, I mean, realistically, it's going to be interesting to see what happens here. Yeah, I'm actually excited to see how that unfolds, too. So, yeah, definitely lots of storylines to watch with the Blackhawks. They really kind of keep you on your toes. (laughs) They humble you very fast. Yeah, and you know what I'm going to do real quick? I'm going to do a draft lottery simulator real quick, see what happens here. Let's find out. Minnesota won. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Minnesota than Arizona. That I feel like that's worst case scenario for Chicago. Yeah, interesting. That was interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, if, if Chicago and San Jose pick third and fourth this season, it's going to be terrible for both yeah. organizations. I don't oh think gosh. anybody's going to be happy with that. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? I've always had a very, like, some fans are very just, like, so pro. Gotta lose every game to give yourself, to give the team the best chance of winning the lottery. And I feel like last season I had such a piece about it, knowing, like, I always felt like what was going to happen was going to happen, and they were bad enough that you knew that no matter how it turned out, they were going to get a really good player, whether they picked first or fourth. And going, and I remember like Blackhawk fans almost had a meltdown when they beat Pittsburgh and Philadelphia to end the season because they it moved them from last place to third worst, and they were like, "Oh my gosh, I ruined our chances at Bedard." And they were really like upset. Some were really upset about that. And I always had a piece about it, still like knowing like they're going to be okay. I don't know what they're going to get out of the draft lottery, but I think they're going to be okay whether they pick. And I think at the time they had the best odds of drafting fourth overall. So that's kind of how I feel about this year too. Like what's going to happen is going to happen. And I still think, I I don't think they're going to be a lot better than they are um, even when players start to come back. But yeah, I have a very, like I said, just like a very, like they're going to be fine. No matter who they get, they're going to be fine. Obviously, yeah, from a perfect standpoint or from a perfect standpoint, yeah, you'd love to see Macklin Celebrini, but always had a piece about the whole thing, just knowing that they're going to be fine. And I'm kind of just riding the wave, just seeing where it goes because last year showed you never know. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's the key thing is even if, of course, this season would have been a little more depressing, I would say for black Sox fans, Mm -hmm. if they didn't get Bedard, but in the future, I mean, they would have still ended up with a fantastic player picking the top five. So no matter what happened, they would have been fine. And I think this season is kind of the same. I mean, it's a heavy defense draft more than anything, looking at Mm -hmm. the players who are going to be available, which I don't think is exactly what the Blackhawks need. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm curious how a player like Anton – I can't say his name – Anton Siliev would fit on them. because I can't say his name either, but – I wouldn't mind if they just go best player available. I feel like they should have done that, you know, back in, what was it, 2019, or when they drafted Kirby Doc third overall, the best player available was Bowen Byram. They probably should have gone that route. So, and Kirby Doc's fine, but it was just more like best player available thing technically. So, yeah, I, I, I'd be interested to see where they would go with that too. I don't know if they would think either they have too many defensemen and want to go a different route, or if they did do the best player available thing. It'd be interesting. Yeah, I think if they did go with defenseman, Siliev would be the interesting yeah. one just because he's different than everything they have at six foot seven. Yeah. And he's already playing in the KHL as well, which compared to most players is completely different. Right. But yeah, I think it's the same thing this year. Uh, no, no matter 
how things go, you're going to get a fantastic player. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you get further down, like I'm looking at a uh, mock draft on Tankathon. At 15th, you have Adam Juracek, who if I believe his brother David says Adam's better than him. Yeah. So, <laughs> and that was a former, I believe, sixth overall pick. I should know that, but I don't off the top of my head. But, I mean, and I think that's the thing is there's never a guarantee in the draft, which especially when people are rebuilding, they tend to forget. Like, we had Nail Yakupov go first overall one year, and that did not end, out well, end up well for anybody. Right. Um, so anything can happen. And realistically, I think, as we've said, if the Blackhawks keep doing what they're doing, keep building a good culture and just moving forward, no matter what happens, they're going to be fine. Yeah, they are going to be fine. And you know what? Like some people were kind of like, well, why? Like, I guess in a rebuild, why? Why would you get hung up on wins or losses? Because it's a rebuild and because it's not supposed to be pretty. I'm like, it's not. And they are going to be fine for sure. But it doesn't take away that, you know, they're going through it right now. But eye on the prize. They will be better. But it definitely, I think, is a weird transition for the Blackhawks this year, especially because I feel like it's been such an unprecedented season where they maybe could have taken a step forward and unfortunately couldn't. So, yeah, like I said, it's really interesting. And like I said, they'll be fine in the long run, but some road bumps along the way here. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's all you can really do is just work with what you have, take a step forward when possible. At least they're not in like the Ottawa Senators' shoes where – they had these high expectations and fell back to earth. Same with the Buffalo Sabres. They're not, a, despite being last in the NHL, they're not disappointing compared to where they should be. Right. And I think that's the key thing to remember. It's, I mean, what else would you expect to finish sixth worst in the NHL? I mean, it's not that big of an issue, of an issue mm-hmm. yet. I right. think in one to two next year, they have to be, I would say, closer to the playoffs, not necessarily fighting to get into them, but. I would think their games this time of year would have meaning to them is the goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after that, who knows what can happen. I think within the year after that, they might be ready to go. So right. this is going to be interesting for you to cover over the next couple of years. I'm sure. And- you know, what's weird is they've had some, like the last couple of years, it felt like pulling teeth covering the team because it felt like they had nothing going for them. And it was the same exact storyline every single year where they knew they were getting older and they didn't really have the pieces anymore. And you knew Kane and Taze were leaving and they needed to rebuild the team. And it just felt like there was nothing to talk about. It just felt like a broken record. And then Connor Bedard came and then now it's like, okay, they got something to work with here. And then now all of a sudden this year, even though they've had rough bumps and stuff, like you said, a lot of moving parts, a lot of interesting storylines, and that can only get even more interesting. So, yeah, I definitely am grateful to be able to cover it, even through the tough times and all the weirdness and whatnot. But it's a good experience. And like I said, I'm grateful to be able to have that experience. So that's what I that's always been my mindset about it. Yeah, and that's a good way to look at it, and I think. People will probably underestimate how important moving on from the Kane and Taze era was mm-hmm. because obviously everybody wants to keep him, keep both of them because they've been the face of the franchise for over a decade and it's hard to move on from that. But at a certain point, you kind of have to do what Vegas does and say, mm-hmm. okay, well, we don't have a spot for you anymore. You don't fit into our plans anymore and mm-hmm. let them do their thing and it's terrible to have to do so but unfortunately 
in a business like the hockey world, if they want to get back to winning as soon as possible, that's what they had to do. Right. For sure. I mean, selfishly, I always say I still wish Patrick Kane was still on the team. I think he still had a spot. Jonathan Tays probably not so much because they had so many new centers coming in and new center prospects, especially I think they knew they'd probably get a top center in either Bedard, Fantilli, or Carlson uh, in the draft lottery. So, it, yeah, it's definitely interesting. I understand what their viewpoints were, though, and I understand why they did it. But, yeah, I think, yeah, definitely probably was food for thought and probably was good in the long run, even if it hurts. But, yeah, it's yeah, like I said, I, they'll be fine. They'll have, they'll figure out their one-two punch. They already got one, so they'll figure it out. They'll be fine. Yeah, and I'd be very surprised if Jonathan Taze doesn't end up in the organization as a coach or something along those lines. I think he's probably the perfect personality and type of person to do that and be very successful at it. Absolutely. I always said he would be, I think, a great face-off coach, um, too, because they've struggled a lot with face-off. So I think that could be a good role, a good ambassador, a good coach. Really, I think whatever he would want, I think the Blackhawks would give it to him, kind of like the Marion Hosa. They said, whatever you want, it's yours. So we'll see where that goes. Um, But I definitely think whenever he decides to officially retire, he'll have something, I think, in the Blackhawks organization for sure. Yeah, and it's one of those things where this organization has nowhere to go but up and I think they're on a fast track to doing that. So it'll be interesting to see what they do moving forward. And I think that's pretty much all I have for today. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, I don't think so. Like I said, I know it's All-Star Weekend. Connor Bardard will actually be making an appearance. He's not going to play in the game, but he will be there. And I think that's very exciting for the league because I think obviously the league's better when he's in it. So that I think will be exciting, even if it's just on Saturday and we don't exactly know if he'll have more appearances or whatnot. But I think that's exciting too for the league, for at least for him to just be there, even if it's just a face. But yeah, that'll definitely, I think, be exciting too. Yeah, it's definitely great to have him involved in some way, shape, or form. I mean, obviously he'll be back next year. I think we're all pretty much just expecting that from him every year at this yeah. point. But mm-hmm. um, it's great to get him involved in his rookie season because he belongs there. There's no question about that. And it's going to be interesting to see what he can do going forward when he gets back. Uh, I believe it's still a few more weeks, right? Yeah. Yeah, so. still a few more weeks. Yeah, they said six weeks from the date, um, from the injury date. So he, I think he's still got a bit. But I wouldn't be surprised because he's young, heals fast. Uh, it, maybe it could be sooner, you never know. But just want to point out really quick that he's been out of the lineup almost a month and he still leads the team in points. So that kind of tells you how important he's been to this team for sure and that probably in my mind I'm biased but should get the Calder trophy just for that just because one production and two how much he means to the team too so we'll see how that that's another thing the Calder race now that he's been out of the lineup is a lot tighter so yeah this whole thing is just you know like I said lots of interesting storylines in the league right now <laughs> yeah with the Calder it's tough to see where that's going to be going because yeah. the Dards had key injuries Fantilli Carlson as we mentioned and then I mean I don't know who else is going to come in there and take it. Maybe Brock Faber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but even then, it's kind of, I guess it just depends on how Bedard does when he comes back. Because yeah. if he play like, he was almost point per game before he got injured. Yeah, almost. If yeah. he gets up to that point per game mark, even with missing a month of the season, it's hard not to give it to him. Then again, you also have to remember, uh, and I guess this might be karma coming back to Blackhawks way, Connor McDavid didn't win his Calder either because he yeah. got beat out by some guy named uh, Artemi Panarin. 
So mm. <laughs> uh, maybe, who knows? <laughs> I'll come back. Yeah, to I have seen, yeah, it could go either way, but I still think it's his to take. But we'll see. Like I said, there's a lot of really good rookies right now. I really am a fan of everyone you just mentioned. Fantilli, Carlson, Faber. I really, but there's a lot of good talent coming in the league. So it's really fun to watch. Yeah, it definitely is. And it's going to be interesting to see how much the league changes over the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. And hopefully I'll have you back on the show before a couple of years, but we'll see. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see how that goes. Uh, Try to do a check-in maybe during the off-season or something. But uh, I think there's definitely a lot to be excited about in Chicago. I mean, not just in hockey. Just seems like all their sports teams are starting to slowly go up again. (laughs) Yeah. Getting there, but. We're getting there. Slowly but truly. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how quickly they get back there. Because it feels like 10 years ago, except for football, Chicago was near the top of everything. Yeah, the Bears, unfortunately, always be stinking up the joint all the time. It's painful, but it is what it is. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's just the case of so many NFL teams. But uh, They always got to have an ugly stepchild gene. (laughs) Yeah, there's always got to be one somewhere. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Go ahead and give a shout out to your social medias and all that. And to where everybody can find you. Um, So you can find me obviously at the hockeywriters.com. You can find all my articles, obviously on the Chicago Blackhawks section of that. You can find, I'm most active on Twitter. So if you're interested in following me on Twitter, you can follow me at Brooke underscore Lofo L O F O. So yeah, I'm, like I said, I usually am pretty responsive and we have a good time on there. So those are really the two main places you can find me. Well, thanks for joining me today, Brooke. And thank you to everybody for listening. And we'll talk to you guys all here soon. Take care, everybody. Music used is Feeling Good by Kevin McLeod with Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Uh, for more information, in the description.